welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, huge guest for me, Jimmy Jacobs, the the emo princess himself is on the show. More on that in a second, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the uh, email address, Turn it a punk podcast at gmail.com. There's also a Twitter uh, at done by myself at left for Damien, Instagram at left for Damien. There's also a turn out a punk Instagram at turned out a punk. There's also uh, yeah, a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can send a message to Tristan and Tristan will get the message to me and we can communicate that way. There's, there's many ways for us to, to, to get together on this thing. And if you want to get together and support this podcast, the best way of doing that is by telling all of your friends, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this thing that we're doing over here. You can also, uh, you know, write a review. Please write a review. Rate it on your podcast listening platform of choice, if you please. You can support our Patreon, which has now had all the mailings go out for the uh, Patreon packs so you will be seeing those showing up very shortly and I will be posting more information about those and what was in the Patreon pack. And you can also head over to patreon.com slash turn it a punk and find out more yourself. Uh, and also you can check out footnotes footnotes. There is there with Chris O'Toole. And if you've never listened to footnotes, I strongly recommend b- being a complete nerd before you do it, because that's what we do on footnotes. We just geek the fuck out about these episodes, go deep, dissect discographies, all that usual crap. So anyway, that's all over there on the Patreon feed and, uh, and, and that's about it. So, uh, on to today's show. Oh no, wait, what am I doing? How can I move on without saying thank you to our fine folks at Vans for their kind, loving support of this podcast? Uh, the house of Vans and the Vans people came on board a few years ago and said, Hey, just do this podcast. Just don't do it out of your own pocket. And I said, thank you. And so that's what we've been doing and it's been great. So check out, uh, uh, you know, Vans and you know, they've, they've been, uh, helping me do this thing, fly me out to do these live podcasts and whatnot. So, Hey, there you go. All right. On to today's show today on the show, Jimmy Jacobs, Jimmy Jacobs is someone that you may be familiar with from his time in ring of honor. If you're a fan of WWE in the last few years, he's written some of the, some of the more interesting stuff that's happened on that show. And, uh, he is someone who has, uh, been, yeah, like a, a fixture, like a kind of a key revolutionary fixture in pro wrestling. He was one of the class of wrestlers that brought about this, you know, independent wave and, and really like the the punk rock wave in pro wrestling. But I will let Jimmy talk about all this in a second. Uh, I know sometimes on these wrestling ones, uh, I get, you know, in the weeds a little bit and we end up talking a little bit about wrestling and stuff like that. Well, don't worry. This one's all about wrestling. There's barely any music talked about. If you want music, eh, check out one of the other podcasts. There's, uh, you know, I mean, one of the ones from turn out a punk, but you know, I mean, one of the past episodes, we got a lot, there's a lot of stuff about wrestling, but a lot of stuff about just being creative too. So if you just want to hear, Two people talk about, like, it's not, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. It's not like, you know, like I'm on post wrestling or anything like right here. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's still turned out a punk, but it is, it is decidedly more post wrestling leaning than other episodes have been in the past. You know, hey, I don't know why I'm rambling on. You're going to hear it in a second. Anyway, that's it. Uh, I love this episode. This is um, an amazing episode. Jimmy came over to my house we sat in my kitchen and I did his podcast. So if you want to hear a great precursor of this one, his podcast was directly preceding this. And, and we talked a lot on that one. And then once I got him on here, oh my gosh, I was free to punish, punish. All right. That's it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jimmy Jacobs on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great. Thank you uh, for having me in your home, in this, in this world, in this universe. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing to be a part of. Isn't it, it? It's surreal having you in my home because I'm a I, I played it low-key until now, but I'm a I'm a fan. Oh, like geez. the stuff, the scum stuff is some of my favorite stuff I've ever seen in wrestling. And uh, there was an ROH event. 
I think, when Kevin Steen won from Davey Richards the title. Yep, yep. And that is the most exciting live event I've ever experienced in my life. It was here in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, so. I remember. Yeah, I remember. It was, it was May, I want to say like May 10, 2012, something like that. Oh, the energy in that yeah, room that night. That was, was a incredible. big day. It was yeah. incredible. And so, you know, to have you here and like obviously following your career before that and, and after that, it's, it's it's weird. It's cool. Great. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad somebody likes me still. It's, oh, good. It's, <laughs> It's, it never hurts when somebody says, yeah, I'm a fan of yours. Like, oh, great. Well, you know, it's weird if you say it before and then you have to say it again on the air. And then it like, it lacks a little uh, genuineness the okay. second time. Right. So I'm glad but I say you, it. You could, you could say it as many times as you want. Okay. I, I, I've never been upset when somebody comes up and says, hey, Jimmy, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm a big fan. It's like, that is not a bother. You can just keep, keep that coming whenever you want. You know, well, send me emails, you know, whatever. No one's ever finished this podcast and said... You didn't really affirm me enough. Right? <laughs> well, like, you, really, you really put me down a lot. Good. We so, all need that. Though, yeah, exactly. We? I want this thing to yeah. be like... Just give people what they want, exactly. right? People just want to know. They're like, hey, you're great. Hey, you're great. I'm great. We're great. Everything's great. Well, we yeah. have so much... There's so much stuff in our society that's reviews. Yes. And yes. like, you know, we don't really need reviews anymore. Like reviews at one point served a purpose because mm -hmm. you couldn't see it unless you paid for it. But now we can all experience and see everything without paying for it. So... Why not have some celebrations? Absolutely. Yeah, you're speaking my language, man. Well, Absolutely. I got to speak my language for a second, Please. which is, Jimmy, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, man. I, I absolutely do. Like, So I don't want to like be like a poser here. Like, no, like, no. I'm, like, I'm, like I'm super punk or anything, but I, I definitely uh, have a bit of uh, intersection with it. I remember I was in seventh grade. And I have an older brother who's three years older than me, and he had a friend in, in high school who's a year older than him named Joel. And like I grew up pretty like square. Like my, my dad's like a federal judge, uh, very Catholic house. Like we didn't we didn't like watch MTV or listen to like popular music at all. Like I was in a choir. Uh, I think I remember my dad listening like Bob Seger. That's like the, that's the most like pop like rock any sort of music that I would have known at the time, more or less. Maybe in seventh grade I started listening to Michael Jackson. My sixth grade or so. But uh, so seventh grade, I remember my brother's older friend Joel got him. He was he was into punk and got him into the Misfits. Okay. And I remember the first time I heard the Misfits, I was like, I'd never heard anything like that in my life. I remember like feeling like that, like this this like you know those all the all those like hard uh, you know uh, uh, power chords and and uh, just fast. I remember like. Uh, Calling my my friend who was like uh, who's like into rap. I remember like at like two in the morning, like hey man, because he's like all oh, rocks the same. I'm like no man, you need to listen to this. Like and then putting like the the, the house phone up to the speaker in uh, in the kitchen, and, like, so my parents wouldn't hear it and like have them like listen to the Misfits. Were were you already aware of them from wrestling? Had they been in WCW yet? No. So I was uh, so if I was in seventh grade, it would have been like 90, 97 probably. Okay, so just before they did yep. their, like. WCW right. Run. So so yeah. So I started listening to, like the Misfits. I remember my, my eighth grade class picture, uh, and I went to a Catholic school. I tried to get my hair into like a devil lock, <laughs> and like the and the lady taking the picture was like, "You're gonna need to redo this." But you're like, "Take get your hat out of your face." I was like, "Nope." She's like, "Well, you're gonna need to redo this picture." And she took the picture, but no, I, like my eighth grade picture is like like the devil lock's all like messed up, and it's not <laughs> it's it's all apart. But like I did that for some reason in eighth grade. Yeah. It's punker when it's messed up. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, uh, yeah so. Uh, the Misfits, you know, both with um, Glenn Danzig and um, Michael Graves. Michael Graves, yeah, because uh, with the album uh, Famous, not Famous, Famous Monsters. Famous no, Monsters, the, the one before the that, American, one. American American Psycho. Psycho yeah. American Psycho. So when we started like our, our backyard wrestling in. Uh, Probably ninety seven, ninety eight. Like basically every everybody had like a song from American Psycho. Like, <laughs> you know, on the. Were you like so? You grew up in a house where you know your parents were obviously into music, but not necessarily popular. Not, music they weren't way. into music, is the thing. I okay. don't think my parents were into music. Mm -hmm. uh, but my brother and I stumbled upon like a boys' choir when we were young, and then so we listened like basically like church music, you know, Mozart and Haydn and Handel and like the, that sort of stuff is really more like what I grew up with. Okay. Yeah. And is that from your parents or is that just from you guys? That was from, from us sort of stumbling upon this, wow. on a boys choir. And, you know, we were in a boys choir that we went to like England and, you know, at uh, Westminster Abbey and things like that singing. Um, Remember, you know, single, well, like Mozart's Requiem and, and things like that. All, all that sort of stuff. So more choral music. It wasn't yes, like a pop choir no, like no. or something. Nope. It was, it was like, like Mozart's Requiem, you know, uh, Handel's Messiah, uh, different, I mean, all sorts of... 
crazy uh, <laughs> Latin, you know, songs. So did you, yeah. like, did you go to concerts or anything like that? Were you, like, once you kind of got into music? The first concert I went to, it was in seventh grade, and it was Prince, and I went by myself. That was the first one, yeah. What? Yeah, loved Prince. I loved, like, I, I got into, so probably, like, actually fifth, sixth grade, I got into, like, Michael Jackson, and then sort of, like, Prince, and he, these were, like, androgynous, like, yeah. 80, like, I, I always had some sort of, like, certain attraction to that, and if I even look back even further, you go, like, all right, like, David Bowie in the Labyrinth, or even, like, you know, pro wrestling, it's just, like, you know, it's guys in, like, colorful costumes, and it's, there sort of has this, like, androgyny attached to it, so I've always had a certain attraction, when I say attraction, I mean sexual, it's just, like, it's been something, it's like, oh, yeah, like, this sort of gender bender sort of thing has always been it takes kind of, a box yeah yeah I, I guess so and, yeah. and that's only in my in my like more recent years and when I started to look at myself and go why do I wear fingernail polish like what is this is like what's all of this is this like you know did did am I this way because Jimmy Jacobs the character created Chris Scoville to be the way he is or did Chris Scoville create Jimmy Jacobs to be the way he was which sort of came first and then I heard uh actually it sort of clicked on me uh for me when I heard an interview with um uh, Laura Jane Grace, and she talked about how the first time she saw Madonna on screen, it was like, oh, that's what I want to be, and it, I was just brought right back to seeing like Michael Jackson for the first time. I was like, oh, that's it. I've always had this. There's there's nothing that you know triggered it or anything. It's just like that's it. That's been something I've I've liked, and I go and I go back. Oh yeah, I used to put on my grandma's earrings when I was in like you know was six seven years old. Like that's just what I've liked. Yeah. And so where did you hear, like, Prince of Michael Jackson? Like, you didn't have MTV, so... No, well, well, we did. We had cable, but it's like, it's like, you know, not for children. That was my dad's, like, famous line <laughs> about everything. It's not for children. No holds barred. Not for children. Um, <laughs> remember that? And, uh, was, but I, I was in, like, fifth grade, and you're starting to, like, kind of, like, you know, go through puberty in fifth grade. Yeah. And, that, and, and because it's not for children, I didn't know, like, how, how not for children it was. Yeah. So Michael Jackson had two music videos out at this time, and one was Scream, which was a duet with Janet Jackson, and You Are Not Alone, which had his wife at the time, Lisa Marie Presley, in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And both of them, they're, like, Janet and Lisa Marie uh, Presley are both scantily clad. Oh, they're so, kind of, like, nascent so, so, Right, so I started, like, watching these music videos, like, thinking, like, are they going to show boobs? <laughs> you know, just, like, and, and that's it. And that's how it started with me, like thinking I might be able to see boobs in these Michael Jackson videos, and then all of a sudden I just became a Michael Jackson guy. Yeah, yeah. What about Prince? Was it kind of the same? Sa same sort he of. Didn't thing. have any hits at that point. No, he was, like, in the no. Purgatory. Yeah, but like, uh, if you want to watch Michael Jackson, you saw a lot of him not just on, on MTV, but his older stuff was on VH1. Yeah, right. And so VH1, you're seeing all of, like the sort of '80s stuff and Prince. He, he did have an album in '96 called. Uh, the gold experience. Oh, gold experience. Yeah, it was before yeah. emancipation. He was, yeah. he was still, you know, in that slave written on his face. Yeah. Uh, uh, time and just there was just there was something about him. There's something about the like that style that I just go, oh yeah, that's my guy. You know? Well, it's amazing too because like, you know, like you're coming to it with pretty much with a blank slate, and yet you're gravitating to two of arguably the greatest performers of all time yeah. emerge from music. Like. Yeah. It's just almost like, of course, like it's natural that you'd be like, these are the best. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I think there, I think when I look back, I think there's something about the style that yeah. I, because I wanted to be Michael Jackson, I want, I wanted to have, and and I look at myself now and throughout that, I've toned down the way I dress certainly, but like there's always been this sort of a, you know, predisposition uh, to to just dressing the way I like to dress, dress a little effeminate, dress a little out there, you know. Well, it's only um, it's amazing how now we're kind of hitting a point. Like I'm raising kids now. Where you realize how much of just gender is constructed, mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's just like it's put on these kids. Like and no matter, and even when you try and resist it as a parent, like it's put on to your kid, and you're you're either pink or blue. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's, it's there, a lot of it is constructed, right? You know, pink or blue is, is constructed. I remember reading something about this about this has something to do with like toys and toy marketing mm -hmm. back in the years. And if you go back like a hundred years ago, actually pink was like a boy's color. Yeah. Uh, I believe, if, if memory serves me right. Uh, so there's a lot of things that are certain constructed. I'm not, you know, a, a, an expert in any of this, but of, of course there are things that are, are we are genetically predisposed to as well. But it's all at the end of the day, like yeah, it's like whatever it matters. Yeah, whatever, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's like whatever whatever you want to do what, is, is whoever fine. Whoever you are, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's, yep. I grew up on, a, you know, I said very conservative house, but one of the things that I remember and sort of like held 
held this thing in my head. It was like the album Free to Be You and Me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that at all? With yeah. uh, Marlo Thomas. You know, it's just this album like from the whatever 60s or 70s yeah. like the, that my mom had that my dad really didn't like. It's all about <laughs> just like being yourself and how, you know, boys are equal to girls and girls are equal to boys and boys can be what they want and girls can be what they want. And yeah. uh, for some reason, that's sort of thing that's like stuck with me. Absolutely. So what led you to go into a print show by yourself? And also like... Because, yeah, at the time you're getting into these artists, like, it's not really the peaks of their careers no, and no, popularity. No, no, it wasn't. But uh, probably just because he, he, he was in town, you know. And, and, look, when you're at any point in your life, you start to identify with things, right? So earlier on, um, you know, I had an older brother. I have an older brother. Uh, and when I was, like, whatever, first first grade kindergarten he was into pro wrestling so it's like oh you're into pro wrestling that's like what you do that's who you are you're you're you are what you're into yeah and so then i see michael jackson and prince it's like okay i am what i am i'm into i'm i'm into you know these <laughs> i'm into music now right so then you you go to these concerts and you you know we bought a guitar and we had a, our, our first band was you know just like the kids in the neighborhood and uh, it was it was awful it was just we were just children what we were was children it uh, cream cheese and the bagels that's a yeah, great yeah. name cream cheese and the bagels right and then uh, I mean and later on in my my high school days, I had like a like a pop punk band. Okay. Like we just wanted to be Blink One Eighty Two so bad. <laughs> we wanted to be Blink One Eighty Two so bad. Uh, so we just had those like you know fun riffs at the beginning of the the songs like na 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 na. They hit like the power chords and shit. And it was fun. It was it was just but it was fun. It was we we covered we did cover one Misfits song. What was uh I turned into a Martian. We used to do that sometimes. And we used to do like punk covers of you know like Me First and the Gimme Gimmies would do like. All the oh, punk covers of fun yeah. songs. We did like uh, when Enrique Iglesias' Hero came out in like 2001. We did that. We did um, <laughs> Leaving on a Jet Plane. The and we oh the other one we did is the Divinals. I touch myself. I like doing that. Oh, one. That's <laughs> that, that was a fun like punk cover. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like a new wave song to begin with yeah. too. So it like lends itself perfectly. Yeah. What about Cream Cheese and the Bagels? Cream Cheese covers. Nothing. We 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 barely played instruments. <laughs> we 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 were, chill, we were children playing. Yeah. We were just like you know, I was in like sixth or seventh grade. We just. We barely played anything, I think. So the whole time, are you into wrestling, or is that something that's in the back burner at this point? Back burner. So, like, into wrestling from, like, probably 89 to, like, 94. And the last pay-per-view we ordered was uh, uh, SummerSlam 94. It was just Undertaker versus Undertaker. Yeah. Uh, and that was the last one we ordered for whatever reason. Maybe that just left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, I was really intrigued by it, but... Uh, they had a weird build with, like, Leslie Nielsen. Right. And, and, and so, like, I remember being really intrigued, like, what's the backstory? Why is there this... Yeah. Second Undertaker, and I remember at the end of the pay per view, Leslie Nielsen and whoever his, his partner was from Naked Dunk Gun or whatever. They, it, it wasn't OJ, right? No, no it was his partner. No, yeah, partner. yeah. Oh, okay. And so they're backstage, and they look, and, the, and they go, "Hey, look, case is closed." And it's like a briefcase that's closed. Everyone's so disappointed. It's like <laughs> there's no explanation. I thought Leslie Nielsen was going to give me the explanation of why there's a Second Undertaker. Uh, so stopped watching then, and then probably in '97, you know, when it started to pick back up. Um, you know, when, when Steve Austin started coming around, and you just, you know, kids started to get into it again. and Yeah. No, then, God, it was a boom again. Yeah, and then then everything. And then here I am 20-some years later, all because Steve Austin got popular, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, like, you know, I, 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 and I, before I move on, I want to move on, but I kind of go back. So what was the experience of going to the print show by yourself? Like, you're a kid. Yeah. Right? Like, how, yeah, I was in seventh grade. No, What's seventh grade? Nine, he says 13? 13? Yeah, 13 probably. Uh, I remember loving it. I remember I came I, I came with like a, a tape recorder, yeah. you know, because yeah. I wanted to like record the show. But then they were like patting people down <laughs> at the arena, so I like hide my tape recorder somewhere and I didn't get to record the show. But it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it. I wasn't in great seats, but those, those are the days where you'd like... Um, buy tickets from people in the newspaper, you know, in the classified ads. You see, oh, you've got one ticket. And uh, yeah, it was great. But it's still like... Were your parents cool with you going to that? Like they're not Dude, cool if you watching MTV, right? Well, they, then they they got rid of cable at one point, which is <laughs> which is very controversial in my my house. There, they got rid of cable, and uh, they they were fine with it, which is weird. I look back at like my childhood, and then like. When I got into wrestling, I got into wrestling. I started hanging around when I was like 14. I started wrestling when I was 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And I look back, I, like what my parents allowed me to do, God bless them for allowing me to do that. But it could have gone really south. Yeah. It could have, like, and, and you got to, I got to give them credit, you know, because some, some of me thinks, like, oh, man, they were too strict about this or that. But then I think, man, they really allowed me the, the freedom to go out there and, 
and, and figure things out and allowed me to detach, which you, I think you need your children to do. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of, I think, some of what parenting is, is kind of using the least amount of, you know, force possible. It's like you raise them as much as they need to be raised and, you know, you, you need to let them get away from you. And they allowed me to do that uh, fairly early on on different levels. So I have to give them credit for that. And, and, and to my end, I didn't abuse that as a child. Yeah. I did not, I would like, I wanted to be a good kid. I wanted to do rights. I didn't start like drinking, doing drugs, anything until my twenties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was well after I was well out of their house is when I became a delinquent. Well, it's amazing how like things like getting into music, like getting into punk super heavy or getting into wrestling super heavy kind of keeps you on a straight and mm-hmm. narrow, even though it puts you in some incredibly sketchy yep. situations 100%. with older people hundred percent that as a parent now, I want to be a cool parent, but I don't know if I'm going to be that cool. Yeah, right? Scary, huh? It's so scary. Like, thinking back to some of the situations that, you know, you wind up just putting yourself in with with adults that don't know better, in some cases have bad intentions, in some cases are irresponsible, and you're just... A kid. Yeah, man. Then some some bad things could have happened, and thank God they didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm amazed sometimes that they kind of gave us the leeway to to, to, to do that, and all, it all worked out. Uh, it all worked out all right. Well, it's funny because they say it's safer now. Is it statistically, apparently, you know, you're it's safer, quote unquote, now for kids. Yeah. Than it was when we were kids, but like just the amount of freedom. Yeah, like these old these older people that I was around, like yeah. who knows? They're and I'm like 15 years old, and I've got these like you know people calling me that are like way older than way me, older. and I mean, thankfully nothing like ever happened. Like I mean, things could have gotten weird at different points, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your to your point, it did keep me away from from drugs. It did. Um, because it, it gave me an identity of mm-hmm. I'm the guy that's following my dream, mm-hmm. and it gave me a superiority po- complex too. Because I look at you know my friends in high school, it's like you guys are partying while I'm going out there and you know following my dream, doing something worthwhile, and all this sort of stuff, which is all nonsense. But so, what's the gap between like did, had you when you were doing the backyard wrestling yeah. stuff? Is that when you turned 14? I was about 14 at the time, and then uh, I was flipping through channels. On Saturday morning, watching Superstars, and on public access, there was this like, there's this local wrestling, and it was like, there's this crappy ring, and I'm watching these guys in like gym shorts and sweatpants, and I press the record button, I'm like, oh my God, because I had no idea this existed. Yeah. Right? Like, who, who, who knew that like there's wrestling like here, and I'm watching it, and I, and one of the guys doing commentary uh, was the manager of the Funko Land, which is now GameStop. And okay. I, so I recognize this guy, I'm like, that's the guy at, Game, at, at Funko Land. And so basically, my brother wanted to be a pro wrestler, so he was talking like going to like Les Thatcher School and Shawn Michaels School because he was just about to graduate uh, high school. And so it's like, oh, let's go talk to this guy. So instead of going to like one of these reputable schools, he ends up, you know, finding a school in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, Championship Wrestling of Michigan or, or whatever. And, and Scotty Z trained him and, and whatever. So uh, basically we found a local school. And I remember the, the first day we went there to check it out. And it had two rings in this, uh, in this little warehouse. And one ring was kind of nice. And the ring next to it, it's to this day, 20 you know, plus years later, the worst ring I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, it was, it was not only like lumpy, but like the canvas was like this like puke, like orange yellow. And the, the ropes are just taped with duct tape. So they're, 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 they're gray and silver and they're just like hanging down there. I mean, it was like the most shoddily put together ring I've ever seen in my life. And this is my last, I remember it was the last week of eighth grade. My brother and I are standing there. We're watching this, and and the, the guy who trains there, you know, Scotty Z, is like, you know, guys, you know, I, you know, I can't allow you to, to to get in the ring, but you guys can watch. You know, liability, of course. You know, like I'm 14, my brother's 17. You know, fast forward, you know. 30 minutes later, he's like, all right, guys, show us what you got. And here, here my brother and I are in this death trap of a ring over there, just doing what we think pro wrestling is. I'm doing, like, cactus jack elbows off the off the apron. Then he invites us into the, the other ring, and we're just, like, working with everybody else. He's giving me, like, a razor's edge. I'm, like, I'm like 14 years old. I'm, like, what, like, how awful? Like, what? how bad, irresponsible of an adult was this person? Uh, but I loved it. I remember, like, after that day, just being like, that's it. That's home. I think that was like something like obviously that happens in Mexico and Japan, but I think that like for American wrestling, once again, like as a fan and it, but that was like 
typified by your era of people seeming start super young. Yeah. And that's probably why everyone was so good so early. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, for me, I just look at the first few years I wrestled, and I go, like, you know, just, I don't know, three more years of, I don't know, fun slash abuse on my body, slash time to learn. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I wasn't very good, probably still not. Uh, but, you know, the people that probably get trained properly at 15 get good pretty quickly. But I was <laughs> but just... like no responsible person is going to train a 15-year-old in right, America. Right, exactly. That's, that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to, <laughs> yeah. right? So you find a place to train you at 15, you know, almost by definition, like, this probably isn't the place to be. So Yeah. Yeah. Was, it, was um, the wrestling that was happening kind of... A, like locally, were you going to like? There must have been indie shows, right? But that was the first time I had heard of indie wrestling. Oh, there wasn't or, or, any, or knew that indie wrestling existed. That was it. That day when I see it on on public access, and so then we just we find this guy, and then we make the phone call, and then we we go and check the school out, and then you know my brother starts training there, and I start just going around the shows and helping him, you know, help set up the ring and the chairs, yeah. and, I, and you know record the shows, you know, with the video camera we had, and I started making like really crappy like. Websites for some of the wrestlers, like really fundamentally, like GeoCities, yeah, Angel Fire, Angel actually. Fire, AngelFire.com <laughs> slash MI slash. Wait, so whatever. did you? So had you ever been to live wrestling prior to this? Sure, uh, like WWF. In the first live show I went to was, uh, was like March of '91 in uh, in Kalamazoo at Wing Stadium. It was leading up to WrestleMania Seven. The main event was a. Uh, it was Slaughter and Warrior in a Cage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was that was the first one. And then we went been to, like, you know, Raws and, and WCW and stuff later in whatever, 97, 98. So. so, like, it must have been a shock to think that all wrestling was that and then to be yeah. well, in this. Well, you so should see that I, show. I, I don't remember when I first saw ECW on TV, too. I remember that, flipping the channels late at night and like, Passports or whatever was on and just seeing this and be like, what the what the hell yeah, is this yeah. place? I remember, like, Shane Douglas is this, like, you know, big, mean champion. I remember him from, like, 1990 or 91 as a WWF run when he's, like, this, like, young upstart in his little orange tights and his yeah. whatever mullet and he's, like, did a crossbody and all of a sudden he's trying to get this badass and uh, but I mean, it was just—it was awesome. I mean, the, the to, to be able to go into a ring and be close to it, and be around it, it was like, as a kid, you, you think like this is like sacred. This is sacred ground. Yeah. So you'll, you'll never cross, you know, from from this line into this line, and uh, it was it was super cool. I think it's also, you know, like you were saying when you called your friend that night that you first heard punk, and you're like, no, not all rock music's like this. Yeah. It's like the first time that I was exposed to independent wrestling, it was like, oh, not all wrestling's like that yeah like it's, it's it is kind of like you feel the attachment like the energy is different like going to a small show versus sure. you know a giant concert yeah and and in independent wrestling in 1998 was was interesting because it was like the boom period in wrestling so independent wrestling was hot because of like a trickle-down effect like wf's hot so so thus you put uh wrestling on the marquee and pe and greg valentine and people show up like the first independent wrestling show i went to had like 1400 people in it you yeah. know which which now in the days is, is, is a great, <laughs> it's a great house and for show. right yeah. and for the last 20 years it would have been yeah. but at that time it was like it was like okay this is just what's happening you just put wrestling in the marquee and people show up and i remember like a low house I remember when this, the first company my brother wrestled for pro wrestling worldwide the last show they did uh drew like four or five hundred people and, and the promoter's like all right we're gonna we're gonna shut down <laughs> you know four or five hundred which now you know it's still four or five hundred oh, yeah. people is, is still is still it's not a bad house local show especially when you're paying the talent i think nothing i think <laughs> nobody got paid maybe the few like the outside guys quote unquote got paid 40 bucks or 50 bucks but yeah. uh uh yeah expenses were, were, were pretty low uh so so it's interesting and but it wasn't good yeah. like the, the the wrestling especially where i started wasn't good it wasn't like you know innovative it wasn't new it was it was like crappy independent wrestling, and that's what I did for most of my life. Was crap. I still to this day I love crappy independent wrestling. Was it still like the the chic, the world of chic build, or is that kind of no, like at this point? No, yeah, it, not not where not where I started. No, it, there's no chic. I mean, it, it was West Michigan. So you are talking about like sort of like where uh, uh, Boba Brazil was from, but I mean, this is just local crappy yeah. you know independent guys that probably aren't trained very well and uh, but it was fun see I lucked out because like I was a fan but I didn't go to independent wrestling till it started getting incredible yeah and so when you, you go to a show and all of a sudden you'd be like oh my gosh like who's this guy from Japan that's just yeah for some reason wrestling <laughs> so what, what, what you're talking about then like I guess it would be 
2002, 2003, yeah. 4, kind yeah. of that period. Sure. Like, so, right. So, you know, nine, I'm, start, I'm around like 98, start wrestling in 99, 2000, 2001. So, like, isn't until like around like 2001, I mean, look, you had like the Super 8 back in like, in, yeah. in, in the late 90s, right? I remember bringing tapes like tapes Mike Quackenbush and, yeah. and, you know, Ace Darling wrestling at the Super 8, whatever year that was. Um, but then it, 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 it's starting to get like in 2001, two is when things started to pick up, right? You talk about the, the King of the Independence mm-hmm. Tournament in, uh, on, the, on the West Coast and then Ring of Honor starts in 2002 and, and, and NWA TNA in 2002. Now you're seeing guys like the, the SATs and Amazing Red and Lowkey and Brian Danielson and and, you know, in in the Midwest, you have Punk and Cabana. They're down in Idaho, mid south, that are starting to like like do their thing with kind of like Ace Steel as well. And uh, so 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 that all and, and like oh man, like and you get the like the reckless youths and and what in the, in the late nineties, Don Montoya, guys like that. Uh, so it, those are the guys that were like starting that had some of the tapes and did some like sort of innovative stuff for the time. And I remember seeing like Red Loki for the first time and being like blown away. So yeah. I was gonna say like what was the one to you that you saw first that was like oh, this is different. This is... Red, Red and Loki. Red, Loki. Red and Loki. Their match, it was one of the first weeks of NWTNA, and my buddy had a tape of it, and he's like, you have to see this. Yeah. And I remember watching this, is like, this is nothing I've ever seen. Like, this is... Look, the way I was working, which is the way I still like to work, is like, you know... I'll say pretty Memphis-y, but it's, it was, it's pretty basic. You know, it's like there's a good guy and there's a bad guy and there, there, there's fun and it's it's maybe a little comedic and it's just may, maybe a little silly. Even when it's trying to be serious, it's a little silly. Um, and maybe there's something athletic about it, but it's not like super athletic. Oh, it's a dive because it's fun or it's, you know, some sort of hurricane rata. But this was like athletically based, like innovative stuff. Guys are like creating new moves, not what you've seen for the past 20 years on television. I'll let you say all that stuff, but yeah. I've seen you do some crazy shit. Oh, yeah. Really weird, innovative shit. And I think it's like, you know, that's the period where, like, you know, I, I was a fan my whole life, you know, of wrestling. Like, I just love it as a as a, a medium of I, sport, yeah. you know. But I think it was like that period where all of a sudden it was just like people, like, the innovation was just out of control. Out of control. Off the charts. So, like, SATs, I don't think get enough love for I mean those guys those guys in red to me were the guys that in, in 2001 2002 coming out of Mikey Whipwreck school were just like it was like all bets are off whatever whatever moves there were kind of didn't matter it's like let's just make up our own stuff and for all the you know, SATs never really got their due. You know, the stuff in Ring of Honor kind of never really hit strong. They never really got their due. But those guys were a couple guys. You know, people still use, you know, Spanish Fly today. Mm-hmm. And, and Red created so many moves you see now from the Code Red to, you know, he created the Canadian Destroyer mm-hmm. and you know, all sorts of stuff, man. He's, and he still, he still does that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's crazy I, looking at him yeah. now. Yep, I, I trained with him when I got fired from WB. I went to the school a couple times, and he's still just—he's still all about the innovation. Which with me, I've, I'm, like, I'm doing the same moves I was in the past <laughs> ten years, man. For the past, the last like new move I put in my arsenal was like in 2010, <laughs> like a, like jumping off the second row backwards into a diamond cutter. Now everybody does the like the 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 you know whatever diamond cutters out of wherever like in 2010, and that's where that's where uh, like Osprey stole it from. Yeah, like yeah. jump off the ropes backwards and Ricochet stole it from. It's fine, steal it, whatever. But it's like it's like. What you're describing, like, especially, like, you know, had you had, like, different pockets of people, like, people in New York were doing this thing, people in the Midwest were doing this thing, and, like, it's very similar to punk, you know, like, we have all these pockets of people that just, almost by, like, some, like, psychic link, were like, well, let's try doing something new. Yeah. Like, like, think in a different way. Yeah, and you just, you you go in your... In your like so your, your little pocket, and you, you start to rule that world, but then you go like, well, where else? Yeah. You know, where else can we go? And that was kind of the thing, you know. To me, like I didn't get trained particularly well, um, but I learned so much on the job in front of people. And to me, it was all about let me go anywhere, any place, anytime for any amount of money, and just do it. And that was the fun of it to me. It was being in front of people and doing it. I mean, with talking about music, like there's always this like thing that you know you won't get another Seattle to happen like in terms of like Seattle in the 1990s mm. because nothing gets a chance to develop like that anymore like things because of the internet because of the instant communication like yeah. you they'll be discovered before they really develop and, and you get a scene do you think that's happening with wrestling too like would you have pockets develop like that or is everything just like hyper focused on I mean th- th- things 
I mean, there there becomes a lot of crossover earlier earlier on now, yeah. right? When when some guy starts to get a buzz here, they start to go here. But you know, it wasn't unlike that. You know, when I was started to make a name for myself in the way that you know Punk and Cabana were as well. Cause, you know, me and Alex Shelley kind of did the same thing Punk and Cabana did. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a year or two later. You know, two thousand three, we went down to either Mid South. You know, made her name there, and then created a buzz. The, the, the duo, the match, and you know, we did different matches every time. But you know, we did it in, in Michigan, then we did it in Ohio and in Indiana, and, and down in Kentucky, then in, you know, in Pittsburgh. Then you know, CZW wanted it, and Ring of Honor, and you know, that's you know, we just doing doing the thing together sort of became the thing. And also, that's like really like also something that I remember from the era too. Like it would be like. You know, even in in TNA at the time, like Daniels versus AJ Styles, yep. or or Joe versus Punk, or Joe and Punk, Punk yeah. yeah, Punk versus Cabana before that, where you have these matches that you'd seen different versions. It's like a Grateful Dead fan collecting yep. different versions of the song from all over the world. Like you'd have the same thing, trying to yep. see these different matches happen. Uh, Matt Seidel and Delirious yeah. kind of doing the yeah. same thing we did, and yeah, and it really was like. Uh, would you, would you travel together or that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, that was the thing. It was it was me and me and Shelly because it, it's hard. Like doing it by yourself is one thing. To me, it just when you had that somebody else, you can go. All right, we're kind of in this together, mm-hmm. and let's go out there together and go anywhere we can and just do what we can together. Uh, so it was like me and him and kind of whoever else would go down and you drive the whatever five and a half hours down to right outside of Louisville, Kentucky, wrestle in front of like 30 people, free and rotten for you know next to nothing and nothing because like that's still in the day of, days of tape, tape trading. Like yeah. people got those tapes and that's uh, that's how we did it. it so awesome. like when you say that like you wanted to be a pro wrestler when did you decide like who knows man. like at 14 you think who you knows were? i mean certainly certainly by the time i saw you know mick foley sit down with jim ross and in those interviews yeah. he did with him in like 1997 yeah. but for sure by that point i go yeah that's my guy that's what i want to be i remember that um before that i'm not i'm not sure you know so what was your expectation of of making it. Who knows? I, I look back and I go, <laughs> what was I thinking? Like, what did I expect to ever happen? And I'm not sure I ever expected anything to happen, which I, I think is, you know, I don't know. I, I've got mixed feelings about a lot of different things, right? And uh, I guess as well you should, because life's sort of made up of balance. So you go, nothing's sort of completely good or completely bad. And um, not having an expectation of, of where I was going or even an aim necessarily. I look at that a bit fondly. I go, great. Yeah. That you know what that means? That means I could enjoy being where I was. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, but uh, another person might say, well, no, you have to have a goal. You have to work towards that goal. It's like, yeah, maybe. Fair enough. And later on in my career, you know, talking about you know 2005. Later on, you know, from being a child. So <laughs> anyway, I'm 21 and started to wrestle. You know. Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. I did, you know, my first stuff for WB, and I wrestled like Eddie Guerrero on, on SmackDown and stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, like I, I can I can do something. And wait a minute, like I wasn't getting paid a ton, but all the money in my wallet's now from wrestling. Yeah. And I'm I drop out of college. It's like you know, screw that. I can I can make a living, a meager living, but like doing this and this is great. And then once that was, I remember like. That feeling like one of the greatest days of my life. The day I looked at my wallet in May of 2005, going like, "All right, this is it. I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm a pro wrestler now." And that very same thing was the the thing that ended up trapping me for years after that. And go, now this is where all my money comes from. And so now this is no longer the thing I can just enjoy. Now it's the thing that pays my bills or doesn't pay my bills on on bad days. And now I'm whoring myself out for you know money I. You know, don't want to work for because I need the money, and um, yeah, it really became as um, difficult for some of those years. Yeah, like no other, no other uh, form of entertainment. Like obviously, it's a sport as well, but like I mean, no other form of it's it's it's, it's entertainment. But yeah, like but no other ask has that sort of Faustian deal where you can have that fame, you can have that fortune, but no matter how famous you are, you're going to be paying for it with your body. Yeah, and you know that that's the trade off, and that's why you know. 
you, you hopefully make money, as much money as you can, as quick as you can, as young as you can. Mm -hmm. That's why you know, I was talking to Seth Rollins on my podcast, and it's like, yeah, cool. He, 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 he traded. He made, a nice, he made a nice even trade. He yes, made his, his, his body's you know, messed up, but he's got money in the bank. He bought his, you know, his parents a house. He bought his grandparents a house, yeah. and he'll be able to retire. And not everybody gets that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just like anything in life. The, the thing that... Um, you know, you're, you're in the same way. Your your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. It's like the thing that that saves you is also the thing that traps you. You know, mm -hmm. the thing you love is also the thing that that you hate. The thing that you 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 desire is the thing that consumes you, both in good ways and bad ways. And that's what professional wrestling became to me for so long. What, what who are you looking at and being like? I could do what they're doing. Like that's the career I could have. Because there wasn't really an economic yep. model for independent wrestlers, like the reckless sure. youth, and yeah, and, that, and that's that. The, you know, that's those guys. Um, you know, yeah, he he never he never made it to the the place where he was making real money. You know, he was in developmental in Memphis when WF had that territory, uh, developmental territory. And, and no one was making t-shirts. Right. Merch was right. Bigger. So I mean that. I mean when you look at you know like I've known you know Cole Cabana since he first started. You yeah. know, we've known each other for like since since '99. I was I was there with him and. Um, you know, he 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 was a guy that revolutionized independent wrestling. Like every every wrestler owes Cabana a little uh, debt of gratitude, and they yeah. and trust me, they, they pay him because you know Cabana's. You know, I think he's got some sort of ownership in the yeah, he's got a little stake in pro wrestling tees. So, so basically, every every T-shirt you sell, <laughs> Cabana does get a piece of that. God bless him for it because he's he's earned it, man. He's earned it. But he was the first guy that. I remember, like, as an independent wrestler, talking to him in 2000, it's like 10 or 11, and I was like, it was, and the amount of money he had made, and we were talking about like six months, six months into the year, and the amount of money he had made at that point was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. You're making, you know, like six figures? In, like, independent wrestlers weren't making six figures in 2010. Yeah. It, just, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it was all starting to change, and I, I, saw, it, I saw it change, you know? You know, uh, when I started, WCW still around, ECW still around, and those both go under. And then it's WWF, WWE, and then there's a lot of different companies that want to be the next ECW. And guys, you know, with money that tried and didn't and failed. Guys, that, you know, XPW or whatever, just you know, not to say failed in the grand sense, but failed in the sense that they didn't become the big companies they wanted XPW to become. XPW might have failed on some level. Yeah, I mean, certainly, but they were successful ones. I don't want to yeah, take away no, from no, the no, success, success yeah. when I say that. Uh, but no, like real, like main players stuck around. And Ring of Honor was around, and you know, TNA is around. TNA was it? It started to get a little momentum, but uh, it, it was it was my generation of guys. And I remember talking to to Sami Zayn, you know, who's El Generico at the time, and we were sitting in McDonald's in Glasgow, and you know, Cabana had signed with WWE at this point, and Punk had signed with WWE, and Evan Bourne had signed with WWE, and it's like so it was starting, mm -hmm. and it was starting, and it's like. In, in 2005, it was a detriment to be an independent wrestler. It was like a, like if you told WWE you're an independent wrestler, it was like, like yeah, well, you know that that doesn't help you. That hurts you. You have to pretend you know not, nothing about wrestling, so so that way they can they can mold you from the from the bottom up, right? Yeah. So being an independent wrestler is actually bad, but it was starting to happen. I saw it start to happen. I'm like, dude, then we we're talking. I'm like, it, it's gonna happen. Like. Like, who who else is it going to be? Who else is it? it? It can't be anybody else. Like, who else are they going to go to? Mm -hmm. You know, they have to go to you. They have to go to me. They have to go to Samoa Joe. Like, this is where it starts, man. All these guys, you know, AJ Styles, all these guys, the, the Briscoes, all these guys are going to, like, who else is going to go to? They're going to go look for these guys, these these guys in other sports, and they're going to fail, and they're going to go to these guys, and, you know, every once in a while somebody will succeed. But it's it's going to happen that, that in a few years, this is going to be our business, man, because it can't be anybody else's business. And that's the way it is and that's the way it is to this day when you know when people are worried about whether they're going to make it or not i mean the business has completely changed so like w signing more people than ever there's more people making a living and a better living than ever um it's like yo if you're if you're good and you stick around long enough like it's going to come to you like yeah. we, we see that like there's no doubt yeah. about it it's been proved it's like a time-tested proven thing yeah. if you're good and you stick around, the opportunity will come for you to show what you have. And if you're good enough for, to seize on the opportunity, like, you're going to make money. Like, it's happened to everybody now. It's, it's, not, uh, it, it's not even a, a thing to, to worry about, I, I, I think. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is what happens. Like, well, and it's also like the what you, you know, in Cabana, as you say, Colton yeah. doing the merch thing. He's like the Fugazi black flag of, yeah. of 
this world, but like you know yourself, like CM Punk, like Brian Danielson, like all these. Yeah. What you guys did is, is change that business. Yeah, you know, man. like it became. You didn't have to look like wrestlers look. You didn't have to do the same style as the wrestlers did. You could do something completely different and and just it created a new breed of fan. Yeah, and it was that it was that you know the the Ring of Honor. Yeah. You know the the Ring of Honor um, generation of, of of guys that that did that. You know, Punk was pro- Punk was probably the in my mind one of the most pivotal guys. Like, Punk was I think the first like you know post ECW post WCW wrestler that had a name for himself outside of WWE mm-hmm. that WWE said all right fine let's see how the king of the independents will do in uh, in WWE and if he had failed i think that would have been a setback for everybody the same way when uh, you know a couple guys from TNA came in to to WF like you know Brain Walker and whatever they just did not do well and they kind of yeah. didn't pluck from that from from that tree for, again for a pretty long time actually um, but punk did well and with Punk, it was like, all right, and, you know, they brought in Cabana, and Cabana did all right, and, but, you know, Evan Bourne came in, and Evan Bourne did well, and they started bringing in other guys, you know, then Cesaro came in, and it just started to compound and compound, and then pretty soon it became obvious. It became obvious that the the, um, the greatest attribute, the greatest skill um, that, that one could have at this point is an ability to go anywhere in the world and, and know how to get yourself over. Yeah. And, you know, WWE was not exempt from that. It's not like, oh, you know, sure, you know how to get yourself over here, 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 and everywhere else, but, you know, you can't in WWE. It's like, no, it's it's <laughs> obvious, man. Now yeah. it's obvious that, you know, Daniel Bryan Danielson can put on a great wrestling match in front of, you know, 500 people or 600 people in Ring of Honor, and there's a really good chance that if these fans enjoy it, then these fans are going to enjoy it too. And that's... I mean, that's just what's happened. It was kind of fun as, like, a fan of, you know, people on the independents, then watching them get to the WWE, and as, you know, as frustrating as it was watching them be misused or not, like, use their full potential, it was fun watching everyone just, like, beat all the expectations yeah. and outmaneuver every obstacle put in front of them and just, like, like you're saying, find a way to connect with that audience. Yeah. And who would have thought? Like, I mean, look, and guys that I was the biggest fan, like, like I love Brian Danielson, uh, but I would have never thought he'd have been, like, the guy. It's the yeah. world champion, you know, WrestleMania 30, way to go. Yeah. You're just the most popular wrestler in the world. Yeah. And it, it just started to become obvious that, oh, th- this is what's happening. Yeah. Like, WB's gonna, they're going to try to hire uh, the, these guys from other sports and every once in a while that'll work out. But the guys that are really almost, you know, almost always working out are guys that are uh, either dedicated their whole lives to wrestling or guys that grew up in the wrestling business, guys who are second and third generation wrestlers. I and mean, this is what the company's basically been built around for the past handful of years. And, you know, you got to give um, the, the other the other name, too, that is actually pretty pivotal is uh, uh, Sarah Del Rey, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So she was the first sort of non-WWE person to get hired uh, down in, in developmental as a trainer. And that was the first time it was like, hey, your experience outside of WWE, yeah, that counts for enough to actually to have you come and train the next generation of people. And so Sarah was like, you know, I think pretty pretty pivotal. You know, I had my WWE tryout with her and Sami Zayn and Sasha Banks, and they all did great things, and I didn't. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and so her being in that position then led way to guys like Adam Pierce and other, and almost all the coaches now in, in, in the performance center are guys that really never had WWE runs. Mm-hmm. And which which then allowed them to facilitate and, and have their have their eye on and their their ears open to wrestlers all around the independents that are you know making waves and it, then it just became you know Triple H for for whatever he is you have to give him a lot of credit to at least see that okay um, you know he was the guy that saw punk rock as cool and created hot topic yeah, you know yeah, yeah. That, then that's you know what NXT is right? is that what it is you think more than like a, it's not like a I don't know, like, it's, it's not like a sub-pop. It's more like a DGC, you know, where it's like a, a major label starting in a I don't know what these labels are. <laughs> don't I don't, don't want to pretend that I do. I'm trying to pull it back yeah, in a little yeah. bit. But I'm also just so fascinated by this discussion because it's yeah. like... I'm sorry, we should be talking about punk music? No, 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 okay, no not at all, dude. This is like, this is what the show's about. Yeah, and I think, yeah. like, to me, what you guys did is the ultimate punk thing, yeah. you know? Like, because it's, it is, it was something that was like... 70s cock rock in a lot of ways at the time like just so bloated in stadium feeling yeah. and then all of a sudden it was like no it's it's an it's an art form and 
people are going to revolutionize it. And yep. like, it was, it's just, you know, and then to watch what it did, you know? Yeah. Like, and it, it's crazy. You know, you talk about Cabana and then honestly, you know, punk had a huge role in it for, for the, for, for, you know, guys really making it to WB and making money that way. And Cabana had a, you know, you want to talk about punk. Like he's, he's the guy, he's the DIY yeah. guy mm -hmm. that saw podcasts before, you know, I wouldn't have this in, without him. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the godfather of that stuff, man, yeah. in 2010, when he started doing it, you know, he saw it happen before anybody else. Mm -hmm. And he did, he did, he did great with that, you know, monetarily. And I mean, he, he's a legend, man. Cole yeah. Cabana's a legend. Yeah. Uh, but then you look at, the guys that kind of took it to to the next level or a different level were the young bucks. Oh, yeah. The young bucks were the other guys that like just did what they wanted to do. They were a team that was like they were too small and they did too many high spots. Didn't shake hands. Right, yeah, there's that one. Uh, nice young boys, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, you know they look just look like the rockers and they're too yeah, small. And they do yeah, too many high yeah. spots and too many super kicks. And you, you're not supposed to steal stuff from other people. You can't tell people to suck it and do too sweet. It's like oh, and they just at some point they just said you know what fuck it man we're gonna do exactly what we want we're gonna do what we like doing in the backyard and. Uh, they just became so irreverent uh, they just connected so hard with people. It feels like like your generation is when the when the fans like obviously wrestlers before were fans of wrestling before they became it, but it like feels like that's when the fans took over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like right. that, of course it connects with other fans yeah. because like you know what fans want to see. Yep, yep. And the young bucks are like that. Um, you know, Kevin Owens is like that tremendously yeah. too. Kevin is like has this knack. He, he's such a fan, so he he knows. Like I trust him when he says, "Yeah, this isn't cool. This isn't going to connect with people." Because like like he knows. He's got this really. Mm -hmm. He's very um, intuitive with that. And yeah, the young bucks is like yeah, we like telling people to suck it. So yeah. suck it. That's it. And yeah. and people enjoyed that. And they broke the rule that you're not supposed to steal stuff from people by stealing things like just flagrantly from people. And they broke the rule that you're not supposed to do you know, you know too many of the same moves. So you do the same move, the same super <laughs> kick over and over and over and over and over again. And by breaking those rules and just kind of doing what they wanted to do and like just leaning into it and just letting go of what they were supposed to do and just doing what they wanted to do and what they felt they should do or felt they could do, felt they wanted to do, however you want to put that. It's like they were no longer confined by the rules. And I think people really, um, really identified with that. And they've done really well for themselves. Go figure. And it's like, you know, there's this, I, I, I took film studies and failed out of it. But like there's this thing where like, you know, uh, genre doesn't really become truly interesting till it hits the mannerist stage and people start playing with the conventions and start yeah. being like, oh, you can't do a million right. super kicks? Perfect. Let, why not? Let's do them and Perfect. see what that's happens. The and it's like that's what I feel like. That's what wrestling mm -hmm. was, where it's just like the the creativity that was in the hands. And I guess it was because there was no boss. Like if you had a boss telling you know you and Alex Shelley what you were and weren't supposed to do in that match, like it might not have been right. We we definitely had less restrictions. And at some and here's the thing with anything, man. And this is wrestling. I think this is life. This is probably with music. It's probably with writing. It's like, you were going to learn all these rules. All these people are going to tell you the way, the ways to do things. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. Not that things are really actually good or bad, generally speaking. But like, some of them will be helpful and some of them won't. And some will be true to some extent. There will be probably some truth to a lot of it, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, you have to take it all in. You got to go, okay, fuck it all. I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. Based on everything I've heard and the way I've lived and the way I'm going to live, I just, you just throw it all out. You know, this, it's the same thing, um, like culturally, you know, with, you know, whatever, with, let's say, religion or what your parents taught you or what you hear from your friends or what you watch on TV. At some point, you have to go, wait a minute. Everybody's opinion on my life, it doesn't matter. What everybody's ever said to me doesn't matter. It's my job to take those things. Things and use what I want and throw away what I want. It's the same thing with wrestling. It's the same thing with probably anything. It's like you can hear all these rules and finally go, okay, fine, I get it. When you knock somebody down, if you pick them back up, you know, kind of doesn't make sense because the, the the matches are mostly won on the mat. So you know, subconsciously it shows people that it doesn't really matter to pick a guy up the bat off the mat. You're not trying to win the match. Okay, fine, great, good. But who cares? Who cares? Because Hulk Hogan probably did, and, and Ric Flair broke that rule, and you know. Uh, whoever else broke that rule, Jake Roberts broke that rule and Steve Austin broke that rule and everybody who's anybody ever has broken the rules and that hasn't mattered because they are the people they are and they've done the things they've done. Rules actually don't matter. There's some sort of, like I was talking about before, it's like balance, life's balance. So it's like you take some of what 
what's what what are the rules and then you take some of what aren't the rules and you combine them together it's the it's the yin and yang it's the order and chaos of the world right mm-hmm. yeah but i guess like unlike a lot of things wrestling has a culture of rules mm-hmm. that's like very imposed like was there a lot of resistance like obviously i know there was a lot of resistance from the older generation but i think i I think that's that's every older generation and i think people are um they're they're misguided if they think right now especially in that right when when uh when harley race died i think it was tommy dreamer that told me this quote and it was uh i think it was luthez it was a luthez quote uh about, oh, you know, this new champion and the phony baloney wrestling he does. He's talking about Harley Race, yeah. you know, because Luthez thinks Harley Race is a clown. It's like, yes, well, he probably should, right? Because with every generation, things get further and further and further from reality, but that's kind of okay, right? That's the yeah. evolution of everything. And so, of course, the generation before mine is going to look at my generation and go, like, oh, these kids, you know, a super kick's a finish. It's like, yeah, fine, fair, good. But when they were around, you know, and doing suplex, Harley Race is going with them going, ah, yeah, suplex is a finish. I won the world title with the suplex. And, you know, the, the generation in the 90s is like, who cares, Harley Race? You know, yeah. like, sir, who cares, sir? Because they have to say, you know, who cares? Because otherwise they're doing suplexes for forever, right? And there has to be an evolution of it, and there has to be uh, people throwing out the rules and being like, yeah, with all due respect, uh, I don't give a fuck. Well, it's got, it's got to be bigger, faster, stronger than the generation yeah, before just, for it, everything. That's where things just go. They, they they change. They evolve. And to say, like, you know, oh, it's not pro wrestling anymore. It's sports. It's, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Everything's whatever you want it to be, right? And, you know, where pro wrestling lies, like, one of the things going on now um, with wrestling is... Um, Intergender wrestling, mm-hmm. right? That's a big one, and, mm-hmm. and it's a bit controversial, and it's a bit like you know, there's some wrestlers like this is doesn't make any sense, and there's some fans like this doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, maybe, man, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. You know what doesn't make sense? You know, bouncing off the ropes like a bouncy ball. That doesn't make sense. You know, none of like so much of it doesn't actually make sense. But we we set these rules like any sort of thing, and it's like the contract is essentially just leased with the audience, and you sort of try to abide by this. You go. Okay, you know, you know it's fake. We know you know it's fake. But with that being said, we will try not to insult your intelligence and and t- and take you out of the moment um, and remind you it's fake, mm-hmm. right? We will try to do our our fake stuff as realistic looking as possible, more or less, something like that. But like, I guess the other thing is though, you know, everything requires bigger, faster, stronger. But like, you know, wrestling, like we you talked about, like you you pay for it with your body, mm-hmm. and like you guys pushed it to such an insane level. And, like, obviously you have people like Alex Zane right now who are pushing yeah, it to wildness. crazy levels. But, like, is there a point where wrestling is going to have to stop pushing it? Like, I know people keep saying, you well, know, this is not a new issue, too. Well, it, it pushes it in different ways. And, and to, to, to some extent, it's, it's certainly um, not pushed to the extremes that it was more frequently in, you know... 15 years ago like the okay. death matches have become less pre- uh, prominent yeah. uh, certainly you know, in 2002 and 3 and 4 like those were those were pretty big and things like chair shots to the head are oh just basically out almost completely uh, there's much more awareness of you know concussions there's mu- you know certainly in the WB level they are much more cognizant of just your general health your mental health your physical health um, and and, and so, yeah, you're, you're going to push it, but there's also a little more care, I think, and, and knowledge and awareness of, of safety. Uh, and, and, and pushing it, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, harder, it's like, it's like yes, in a, way, in a way that's it, but in a way it's just you make it different, too. Mm-hmm. You know, when ECW was hardcore and, uh, you know, extreme doing what they did, you know, in 2001, it ended and, you know, X- got XPW, you know, basically tried to pick that up and CZW tried to pick that up and go like ultra violent and extra extreme. Great, fine. But then Ring of Honor went, okay, we're going to go the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. We're going to say, okay, you guys, ECW had no rules. Okay, now we have all the rules. Yeah. Now, now if you don't shake somebody's hand before a match, that means you're a real son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, let alone hitting somebody with a barbed wire chair. You know, and, you know, and and so it's it's just about a different presentation. And and certainly some of the look. I remember when I saw Jack Evans in 2003, and I was like, wow, Jack Evans is it. Nobody's ever going to be a higher flyer than Jack Evans. And then, you know, Pac came along, and yeah. Pac was like, Phew. and now, you know, you see these guys, the fuck, the guys in um, 
the, was it the Orient rest, Oriental oh, uh, Wrestling? O-W-E. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a whole it's like, wild. yeah, it's like a kung fu movie complete with special effects, yeah. but live. Like they're just, they do this amazing acrobatic stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, is it more dangerous? I don't know. Is it more hard hitting? Like, you know, the, the strong style, that sort of stuff, hitting each other like really hard. A lot of that's out now. Yeah. Uh, so it's just different. Head on head, head butts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But like, I think the, uh, you know, because because it is your 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 body on the line and the physicality is, is so much like when you're in that ring, like I know if I'm performing on stage and the crowd's real into it, you're just like, you get that adrenaline yeah. kick coming in. How much of that you have to temper when you're in the ring, when you were in the ring at the times when you're like feeding off this energy and you're, is there ever like, I got to push this even further. I got to see how far I can take this crowd as far as like, you know, maybe adding another twist to something you're going to try. The, um, I mean, the way I like to work, look, I, I did some dumb stuff, but it was generally like calculated risks yeah. and that's the way I like to work. And I see guys sometimes now and they, they do some dumb stuff, but I understand because it's like, it's a calculated risk. Like you take this like big balcony bump, you know, with two guys recently did this. I mean, was that, was that yeah, Alex Zane? Yeah. It was, right? Yeah, yeah crazy, man. <laughs> uh, but, but, but then people start talking about him, and then yeah. people start seeing it, one gif here and one gif here of a 6.30 over the top rope, and now, you know, he's, he's going over there for, uh, for SEMA, right? For, yeah. uh, for OWE. So it's like, it's a calculated risk. It's like don't don't be dumb. Well, be as be only as dumb as you need to be, right? So, um, I have promised you I wasn't going to talk to you about wrestling, and then forced you right. to talk completely great. about wrestling. Right. Uh, who are some local bands back then that you liked? Were there oh, any local man. bands that you guys Boy. would have played with even? Oh, that we would have played with. I mean, dude, we were we were a crappy high school band. It was fun. I mean, it was, it was so much fun. We would play this uh, open mic every Tuesday at this bar right next to my school. So like this, this, you know, it was in senior year. And so like the seniors would come like on Tuesday nights and listen to us play whatever, like four songs they would allow us to play an open mic night. Uh, but it was fun. We played like, like local, like little like punk, man, there's a place called like Skeletones at the time, which was like a, it wasn't a bar. It was like a non-alcoholic. Like uh, children or youth center type thing? Not youth. It was a, uh, like I don't say coffee place, but different like juices, okay. but like where yeah. punk kids would hang out. Yeah. You know, Skeletones was the place, and uh, different places like you know, Stooges. We played the Intersection one. It was time. called the Stooges the venue. So, there's Stooges was the place's open mic night. Oh, that's know. an amazing name for a venue yeah. in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, that was that was man, that was fun. It was fun, but. It was also hard because, like, I don't think we were, like, that talented. We were having fun. And I remember, like, you know, 18 to get out of high school. And I knew, I knew at that time, uh, you know, I was on Independence as a wrestler. I knew that, like, stuff doesn't just happen. You know, just, like, I think the two other guys in my band thought, like, you play a few gigs, you get signed. I'm like, this isn't, that's, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, I knew what the hustle was, you know. So I'm, like, making these flyers and putting them all over my own. Community college and yeah. making this website, trying making a email list to try to like just do all the stuff that you need to do to 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 be successful, right? To, to the hustle, the, yeah. the, the the thing, and just and playing as much as you can play and whatever. I'm assuming it's the same as it is in wrestling. It's Definitely. like you you go and you 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 just go out there and you do it as much as possible and you point yourself as much as possible and you knock on as many doors as possible and until you know you you get good enough to get that gift yeah that makes you right yeah, yeah. And you and you get good enough to be able to get that gift yeah. where people you know are are, are going to are going to see it and yeah. i don't think um, i don't think our band was particularly we were a good, we were a fun high school band. I don't think we were particularly good, and I don't think those guys were particularly driven. So uh, to to do the, the the stuff that wasn't fun, the not fun part of it, and uh, so you know, I sort of had this uh, decision to make at like eighteen of like where I was going to put my time, or like in the band, or in in wrestling. It's like well, wrestling is something I do by myself. I can grab it. I can drive in a car, go to a show, and that's it. I don't have to count anybody else. Were there any other kids in kind of the music scene that were into wrestling around you or with you? No, no. I mean, wrestling was popular in the way my freshman year in high school a little bit, but uh, I was still like the weird wrestling kid in yeah. school. I was the weird wrestling kid uh, until until then. I, I once I started wrestling, it got me over my fear of you know that social like 
I'm a weird kid to being like, yeah, I'm a guy that goes around fucking wrestling in bars and VFW halls and people chant my name on the weekends. Like, I can fucking talk to a girl. Who cares, right? Because uh, Alex Shelley's a punk rocker too, right? Yeah, he was. He was in a band. Well, I mean, did they just release a new CD? They had a. I think they did. Did they? Recently. I mean, recently because they had one. Him, Petey Williams, Chris Sabin, and a couple other guys. Oh man, what were they called? It was uh, back in the day. They had a band. like. Ten years ago, oh, wow. maybe. I don't even know this. No, yeah, boy, what's their? It was good. Okay, yeah, Alex Shelley's like a good singer, um, he, and he's into all that sort of uh, that sort of stuff, um, like the garage rock and all that. Man, what are they? What was the name of it? Oh, it's gonna kill me now. I can fix it in the yeah. intro. Yeah, I'll look yeah, it up. Yeah, look it up, please. What was the? Um, so was there like a lot of punk rockers that were getting into wrestling at that point, like, or, or is just you two just happen to be? The odd ones out. Me and Shelly? Yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I don't want to call myself a punk rock. You played I, a punk rock I, band. I, yeah. Played, well, it, yeah. It was like a pop punk band. It's okay. It was, yeah. We make, uh, we make a, we cast a broad net here. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, um, you know, Sammy Zane is certainly, do you oh, have yeah. him on here? Oh, yeah. 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 He, he's great. He knows all this yeah. stuff. Every once in a while, he'll hit me up with a song that he thinks I'll, I like. We also have the king, Robbie Brookside. Robbie Brookside. Oh, yeah. Robbie he, Brookside did a pirate radio station. Playing punk rock demos at the same time he's breaking into pro wrestling. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's like it's, it's weird how many like there's three wrestlers named after Davey Havoc. Really? Yeah. So Je- Jessica Havoc. Jessica Havoc. I know that. Danny Havoc yep. and, and Jimmy. Havoc. Jimmy. Oh, really? All after. Uh, All after Davey Havoc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, how many wrestlers use AFI's entrance music? Yep. Like it's really. Yeah, that was big. Yeah, punk used that in, in uh, Ring of Honor, and I was at Shimmer, and I think three. Wrestlers came out to AFI, AFI songs. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, there's there's definitely, I think there's an appreciation for any sort of like DIY thing. You know, when you're yeah. just, when you're a guy just struggling and saying, hey, I'm, I'm a guy that's hopping in my car and I'm going on the road for next to nothing and nothing because this is what I want to do. And maybe there's light at the end of this tunnel. Maybe there's a big payoff, but probably not. But who gives a fuck? I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And it's also like, it, it, like you said, it, it, it's like a place for people that don't feel like they fit in, that are creative mm-hmm. and weird. Like both are places that they yeah. can feel safe and do their yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, for sure. Uh, my One of my exes was, was big into like the hardcore scene and also we met through pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, my roommate now, she's in the hardcore scene and met through pro wrestling. It's like, yeah, there's there's definitely a crossover between you know the, the world of like... You know, punk rock, DIY, all that sort of stuff, and the the maniacs that we are. Uh, would you come back at some point in the future for a part two? Absolutely. Thank you so I love much. Hearing myself talk. Awesome. <laughs> I had a blast. Cool. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Jimmy, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, we're gonna we're gonna do more in the future together. We're gonna we're gonna do some more stuff. I'm gonna one day I'm gonna get them all together. All the punk rock wrestling connection in a giant convention setting. You know, if you just talk about it enough, it, it happens, I find. So I'm talking about it. Anyway, uh, that was a lot of fun. You know, I love when people come over to my house. You know, I feel super at ease, you know, and it just it just adds to the, uh, to the experience for me. Anyway, on to your experience next week on the show. Next week on the show, Michael Cronin is coming on. Michael Cronin, of course, is a merge recording artist, Some one of the songwriters of some of my favorite songs ever that did that make any sense some of the songwriters hey one of my favorite songwriters ever uh i'm a huge fan of his i've been a huge fan for a, a while we released a new record uh late last year on the godly and also my home too merge records and uh so you will be hearing all about his journey through punk rock next week on this show oh i went on a cruise with him one time you know that's that's what i like when i have these personal connections we went on a cruise together he's seen me drunk He's one of the few people that has seen me drunk and I'm, I'm not proud of being drunk, believe me. And I'm, you know, anyway, you'll hear about it next week on the show. Thank you everyone for listening. Go out there and make your own culture, sign your organ donor cards, uh, shout out to my uncle Bill and, uh, and, I, and that's it. I, I will see you all next week. Uh, stay safe. Love you. Bye. <laughs>